and beyond the service worth paying for, that there is exponential value. When when we, and this is not, not about me, when we as an industry get it right, we add unbelievable value to the bottom line of a business. It could be billions of, of dollars, yet we are remunerated for time and team. You know, it's this many people for this many hours. And, you know, you go back to that, is it the Picasso thing where he draws the sketch in a coffee shop? You know, it's it's not time and team because it takes 20 years of commitment as a creative of, you know, thinking differently, of surrounding yourself with, with the right people and immersing yourself in culture to be able to come up with those ideas. So I definitely think there's got to be a smarter way to... Um, uh, to be compensated for the work that we do. You are listening to One More Question, a podcast by the people of Nice Work. One of the things we often catch ourselves saying is, can we ask you one more question? This podcast is all about sharing that, the best conversations we've had with significant brand builders, experts, and communicators. The people that we've encountered as we go about our work of making people care by creating impactful brands. Season three is focused on unpacking the topic of branding. We talk to people who design brands, own brands, build brands, and even those who hire for brands. We explore what brands look like and how they behave across a wide spectrum, from world-renowned brands with massive budgets like Spotify, to companies that are making big waves on small budgets. If you're looking for insights on the best ways to invest in and build your brand, this is the season for you. I'm your host, Ross Drakes. Today on the podcast, I'm talking to Stuart Watts. Stuart Watson is a graphic designer based in London. He started his career as the first junior designer ever hired at Wolf Owens. Whilst there, he co-created the brand for Oi, Brazil's fastest ever startup to reach 1 million customers. That work won the McGuinness World Record and a Grand Prix at the DBA Awards. He went on to join Venture 3 and then the design studio as ECD his first job winning the pitch to rebrand the Premier League. A year later, fed up with being an employee, Stuart quit, finding himself unemployed and unemployable. He started Nomad with Terry Stevens in 2016 with a maxed out Amex card as funding. Their first project was the rebrand of Sky Sports, followed by the FA Women's Super League, a refresh of the Premier League and the 2018 Cannes Lions event branding. Nomad now has a roster of mass fantastic clients, including Premier League, Disney, BT, Sky, the FA, the Natural History Museum, and Rolls-Royce. They are also the proud sponsor of the Hackney Laces, a community-supported and run football club for girls who want to play football and learn new skills. We talk about the rebrand of the Premier League and how, through that, he's questioning if we as an industry have become addicted to branding and how this addiction might have a negative effect on attribution. He shares how a new way of working and collaborating led him to win the pitch to rebrand the Natural History Museum. Enjoy. Well, Stuart, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks. It's an honor to be on. There's so many great guests you've had. It's, uh, it's great to be in such good company. Cool. So, I mean, uh, I'm very interested you know, we started this conversation and you asked me what I wanted to talk about. And the first thing I said is, you know, obviously you've been, you did the Premier League and that's such an iconic piece of design that has been referenced many, many times, I think, well and, and poorly. Um, 
and you sort of dropped a bomb on me about it. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you feel about the the Premier League and the work that you've done at the moment? Well, yeah, well, uh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a, a project of a lifetime, something I'm incredibly proud of, but um, something that's on my mind in general um, and it's apparent with a number of brands is, is really around attribution and how much we're asking uh, customers, viewers, whatever you want to call them, to to work. How hard do you, do you want them to work to understand your brand? And yeah, I just got to thinking the other day that the more brands, the more sub-brands, the more um, variations, the more complex we make these brand systems, the harder we're asking viewers to work. So I'm in a kind of existential crisis of have we created a a monster? Have we created too much confusion? Have we created a brand that's so rich and so multidimensional um, that actually people don't know what it is? You know, fans may know what it is, but but you know, my mum wouldn't, or you know, a mum in a supermarket may not. So I'm just asking myself this question of, you know, we are we at a point in branding of of over oversaturation and 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 if so, what do we do about it? And I think it is really interesting because I suppose the Premier League is one of those ones where there's the potential for a million sub-brands um, and a million kind of extensions of it. And I think as the designer, you get really excited at all the possibilities that this brings, that we can now do our work a million times and we can apply it to the fan club and the you know, and the online thing and the TV guide and the the new fantasy league and all of the opportunities that it kind of presents. So Yeah, look, it's it's brilliant and we love it, right? And as design agencies, we are and and look, I'm completely guilty. I'm not here to um to chuck blame around. I'm just I'm just trying to pose a question of have we kind of made have we in a world where everyone's addicted to branding and logos, are we, are we making that problem uh, better or worse? But when a client comes to you with a brilliant brief for an amazing sub-brand with a, some money, I mean, you're going to go, yeah, great, of course. And we've been doing this our whole careers, you know, Sky, Disney, Premier League, you know, any brand with a, with a complex portfolio really has the opportunity to um, – without really knowing it, just add all these barriers and layers and, um, and these brands that become truly loved. Um, and then, and then years down the line, they go, Oh, wow. Um, nobody loves us anymore. They love all the, the products that we, that we build and create. Um, and you know, where's our attribution? So that, that's really the conversation I'm having with a lot of my clients now is how can we wrestle back the love that we've kind of subcontracted to all of these brands that we created that no one asked for, but now, now really love. Mm. And I think it does really feel it's not just a big company problem. Like we see it in smaller companies who then build a strong product and that product starts to eclipse the, the mother company. And then, then they start to exactly like you feel that the attribution's not going the right way. Like people shouldn't love the product. They should love the, the company. Um, but it exactly. also feels like yeah. we've we kind of we've been heading in this direction for a long time because we kind of came out of you know probably 10 15 years ago it was quite a monolithic time with 
quite strong, simple brands, you know, and, and I guess the world was a bit simpler than, you know, in South Africa, we had five TV channels. That was like the options you had. So there was only five opportunities to create brands and not 450. Yeah, well, we had four, you know. Um, I remember Channel 5 launching them as a kid. And then, obviously, I've been working with Sky for 21 years. Bringing choice, uh, it, you know, is the is the buzzword and the catch line. But no one really asked for it or wanted it. And I think at the beginning, we manufactured choice. We created this sweet shop of channel logos and brands to make it feel like, oh, my God, I get Sky and I get all these great things. Then we go, actually, it's about attribution. Should we bring it all back in and make it all very monolithic? Then we'll get bored of that and we'll go somewhere else. So it's really cyclical. It's really reflective of what's gone before as we are reflections of our parents. You know, we, I rebelled really hard against my parents and now my kids are like really nice. So I think you are a reflection of the thing that came before. Um, and I think it's just really interesting to just to sit back and think about our world and what we do and how we could best add value, even if it actually doesn't benefit us, the agencies, you know, less work, less interesting work, uh, less award-winning work, less moving branding on. But I think we're at that point in the world now where we're so overly saturated with brands and messages that our brain simply can't take in this rich information we're, we're kind of sending out there. And, you know, some, some of the things we're doing are falling flat just through, uh, just through the sheer amount of noise that is in the world. Mm. I mean, I think there's, there's a, a counterpoint to that is, you know, I think the company that goes to an agency is then told, listen, don't do this piece of design. Like, don't, you don't need it, you know, kind of sit back. I feel like that is also a value that they, that the agency's adding, which in theory should be remunerated. Whereas, you know, your kind of, your ego feels like you have to engage because you see your competitor make another product and then you go, but we need a youth product too, or we need a, we have to have a, a, a one of these because they have one, you know, and you get caught up in your own, own swirl. And I think part of what agencies do for clients is become this outsider who can then look in and go, well, actually, why don't we do nothing? Um, and sometimes that does play out very, very well in the long run. I'm, I'm smiling so much as you, as you were saying that, because I'd just love to, I'd love to be brave enough to say that to a client. And maybe that's what the next step of this thought process is. And I know we discussed it yesterday, but I mean, just imagine saying to Sky, the Premier League, actually, guys, you know, you don't need this. Like, um, we can do this from the master brand. And yeah, how you get re remunerated for that is interesting. But I think it's then you become a brand, a trusted advisor, a partner mm. who has got their back rather than a gun for hire, you know, just bring in to, to create this new thing that they don't need. So I think the value would come in the long term of that trusted advisor role, but it would be a real shift from that, from us being a, um, service you know a supplier of goods and services to a a partner who helps guide them through this really critical moment in in the world where everything's changing so much yeah i think it's also i mean it's potentially a rethinking of of 
how the industry is remunerated. Um, and we're seeing these kind of trends coming out where agencies are wanting to being paid on, on art, not outputs being paid on kind of impact. Like what have we actually done for the company? What is, you know, you fundamentally change the perception of the premier league. You know, that's a massive leap for them as a, as a company, you know, yes, it was a piece of design and yes, underneath that was your hours and the work that you kind of put in. So I think it does become interesting when you start looking at your creative partners as, as exactly that partners who people you can come to and be like, we're thinking about this thing can you add your lens to it? Like we've got the financial people looking at it. We've got the, you know, the researchers looking at it. We've got all these different people looking at it. What is your kind of creative take on what it means? You know, which is, I think, yeah. a, a service oh, worth paying that? for. Exactly. And beyond the service worth paying for, that there is exponential value. When, when we, and this is not, not about me, when we as an industry get it right, we add, unbelievable value to the bottom line of a business could be billions of of dollars yet we are remunerated for time and team you know it's this many people for this many hours Mm. and you know you go back to that is it the picasso thing where he draws the sketch in a coffee shop you know it's it's not time and team because it takes 20 years of commitment as a creative of you know thinking differently of surrounding yourself with with the right people and immersing yourself in culture to be able to come up with those ideas. So I definitely think there's got to be a smarter way to, um, uh, to be compensated for the work that we do because the idea could come in one minute, but it still has huge value mm. or it could take eight months uh, and it can completely fall flat and add zero value or it could be transformational. So Somehow you've got to bake that into the new way of thinking of being about a partner. It. Yeah. I mean, this is the the risk, as you just said it there, is that what if the idea doesn't work? You know, this is the other side of the coin where this is where the clients win. So we come up with a brilliant idea that's totally going to change the game and it doesn't. You know, then your remuneration will be reflected in that because you haven't but, delivered the thing that you said that would happen and you need to go back to the drawing board and go, what did we learn? Okay, what are we going to try now? Like, you know, for sure. But I'm really up for that. You know, I think you've got to back yourself um, to come up with the right idea. And you know, we always talk about doing what's right for the brief and for the client, not for the agency. So I would, I would totally be that kind of all in. You know, and, and I guess the, the the classic way of that is some kind of um, a percentage of the business or the profit or something, which feels mm. a bit like. I don't know, there could be a more partnership way of doing it. Um, but I think the difficulty is measuring success in a, in a, in a fair way. Um, and just being, if you can be clear on that at the outset, whether that is, you know, more subscribers, more viewers, more attribution, more love, more whatever, um, I think you could get somewhere really interesting. But, but I think we're so far away from that. And with most clients, we're still very much a service industry. You know, what other industries actually pitch work for free? You know, you wouldn't ask a plumber to come and three plumbers to come and fit three radiators and then choose the best work. Yet mm-hmm. we'll put 10 people on a project for two weeks and practically do the project for free and hand it them on a silver platter and then beg them to work with us. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And that's our fault, you know, where we shouldn't be doing that. 
Yeah, I think it's, I mean, you know, part of what I'm trying to achieve with the podcast is to to shift the thinking. And I think there's two interesting nuggets here. The one is, do you treat your creative company, your creative service provider as a, like you say, hours and team kind of person? And then the incentive is to spend more hours and put more team? Or do you think about them as a strategic partner and, you know, then kind of use them in that way and remunerate sort of differently. Another one is how do you get the best work out of creative companies? And actually the call I was on just before this one was a company that came to us and said, we are interviewing three agencies like we would interview a staff member. So don't come and do work for us for free, but come and show up your best self and if we like your best self, we'll work together. And I think that's a, a much stronger way of working together because if you if you make people pitch, those costs have to get paid somehow. So, you know, if you win the pitch, you obviously recoup your money on the, the jobs. If you lose the pitch, you, you need to bake that cost into the other jobs that you're kind of doing. It's a, it's a kind of logical stamp. And then the the average narrative is that agencies are expensive, but it's also part of how the industry is set up, which is is almost combative between the agencies and the clients. And I don't think it's necessarily the best way to to work. Um, so I love this thinking that that opens it up and go, what's a better way? Like if we were to redesign the industry today, how would it look and how would we approach branding then? I think there's so many good points there. I think the the, I mean, I couldn't agree more on the pitching because it just sets us up in the in that service, you know, ubiquitous, you know, supplier kind of thing where anyone can do this job, and it is actually about relationships, and that makes so much sense to spend some time with someone. Like we often offer to do workshops or interviews or you know chemistry meetings. We're we're really up for that kind of stuff, but the minute something's asked for free, then they have all the power. And we're subservient to them. So that's not an equal relationship. It's not healthy. But I think, again, as an industry, we don't help ourselves because we're so busy competing against each other that we can't come together and say, hey, guys, I'll tell you what, I won't pitch if you don't. Because you only need 10 of the best agencies in the city to say we don't pitch. And clients will get that loud and clear. You can change that behavior. Mm. But you know, here in London, I know nine agencies might say no, and one is totally going to say yes. <laughs> and I'm not excluding us from that. You know, we're a startup. So, but I, I would welcome a an industry-wide kind of, I don't know if it's a conversation or a coming together where we could, I don't think anyone feels that pitching is valid or valuable or adds anything um, clients are purposely distant and invisible throughout pitch process. It's completely unlike how we work, um, how we as an industry work. So why would that be a good thing? Mm. I mean, you mentioned you've been working in the Premier League for seven years. Like, how has that relationship and that brand evolved over those seven years? Because you did that initial piece of work, and now obviously you've been building on that. Like, how is that? relationship evolved um as as it's gone along well i I think my career and 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 nomad is built on relationships so the premier league started with a pitch whilst i was ecd of design studio 
So that was a pitch that we won and was originally done there. Um, but I think what what is the difference between and also how you get great work? I think it's all about relationships. So I forged a very close bond with the with the CEO Richard Masters. We came very close, and he trusted me deep, dearly to get this work done. Um, then after a while, um, uh, you know, maybe like a year, say there are thereabouts, um, they came back to me, and we've been partners ever since. And that is. That, it, that really is that relationship thing, not that kind of provider service kind of thing. And what that really means is, you know, the, it's going above and beyond the work. The, 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 you know, you have to over-deliver every project. You have to get the pricing right. You have to be there for them. You have to have their back. You have to guide them. You have to say, no, you don't need this brand. You, have, you know, and there's so many things we do or I do for my clients that are above and beyond the work, you know, I've helped them get into schools, move cities, you know, uh, fi- find uh, new career opportunities for their partners. You know, it's like really is a relationship mm. and you are rewarded for that, you know, you're rewarded by loyalty. And that's all you can ask for really in, in this transient world of branding where uh, brands come and go. I've always um, really tried to build those long-lasting relationships. So Sky, 21 years, Premier League, seven years. You know, some of my clients have been with me my whole career, and they may have moved five, six, seven jobs, and the first person they call is us. Mm-hmm. And actually, that means more than than the work that we do or the money that we make. You know, it feels like that is the way I feel um, to, to run a business. Yeah, I mean, it. it uh, I think comes back a little bit to that original conversation around you're not just thinking about the design, you're not just thinking about the branding, you're thinking about the business, and you're understanding your your understanding of the product offering and the psychology of the people gets like deeper and deeper and deeper. So you're able to make those those kind of leaps much faster. And in a much more interesting way that has a much higher like, potential to shift a business and to change the the perception in the market, their market share, their, you know, all of these things that are ultimately going to lead your clients to be more successful. You're going to be able to do much better and much faster when you have a kind of a deeper, more integrated um, relationship. A hundred percent. Look, great work, in my opinion, comes from trust. And that trust comes from relationship. It is. It can happen without that. But in my experience, that the work I'm most proud of, that's come from relationships where I've worked really. You could see that we're all in this together. So the Premier League was four weeks of absolute unbelievable stress. You know, from a blank sheet of paper to printing a billion Nike footballs. But it was brilliant and it got us to that solution because we had four weekly sprints where we brought the client in. We said, you're going to have to trust us. You're going to see a load of stuff that you're not <laughs> going to like. You're going to see a lot of stuff that's crap because we've been working on it for a day. And every Friday they come to the studio, design studio, and we'd cover the walls with everything that we've done. And they trusted us and they walked around knowing they didn't have to buy anything. So we took all that pressure off their shoulders, off the linear 200 page powerpoint presentation we just let them walk around the room take it all in to have time with it and then give us like really simple feedback on 
on where to push the next week's sprint. So this is really interesting. I want to see that develop. Kill that. That's good. That's a route to they all come together. And mm. I think they loved it. And they look, these are gray suits coming from, you know, the posh part of London to the east part of London in some fancy design studio. And they took a real leap of faith. And I think it really paid off. Like they got the work they deserved and we got a piece of work we were incredibly proud of. And um, yeah, and mimicked beyond belief. I think the highlight was the um, UKIP, which is the big Brexit party kind of uh, ripped it off. And there was a potential lawsuit happening there. But I think after a while you realize it's flat, A, it's flattery and B, mm. it's all kind of good publicity. So I think, you know, never get um, too upset when you see the, the, the spin-offs because you have to take it as, uh, you know, we got something right and, and we were completely naive as well. We, we weren't sports branding experts at that point. Yeah, I mean, I think this is, you know, interesting and it leads me to one of my later questions. But, you know, you've now kind of accidentally ended up as the sports branding expert you you put a kind of punt out there you won a massive piece of work and now you're seen as an an expert on it can you can you talk a little bit about that yeah sure i mean my entire career i've always wanted to do an airline that was like maybe not now but when i was younger before the world was falling apart i thought what's the biggest you know what's the biggest place you can get your logo and that's on the side of an airplane and it turns out you can't work on an airline unless you've done an airline. So and I was like, well, how do you do an airline? And I got really kind of upset and confused about, you know, this kind of experience thing of you only get to do these jobs if you've done these jobs because um, you have to start somewhere. The premier thing came about of uh, randomly a guy I'd, I'd went for a job interview with had remembered me and put us on the pitch list. So it was completely random how we got on the pitch list Obviously, Design Studio had done Airbnb, which was really hot, like really good. Everyone was loving it. Um, so I think that really helped as well. And the reputation of Design Studio helped. And I think the client was already being brave by going, we don't want the sports branding experts on this. We want a fresh perspective. And I think the work kind of reflected that. It was it was different from everything else. We, we all love football, but we're not mega fans. We're not angry sports fans. We're kind of like those gentle guys around the periphery of sport. So I think that really helps. But then what's interesting is you do the Premier League and you are the de facto sports branding expert in the hearts of minds of every sports league in the world. So we went on to do the Women's Super League football. We've done NFL. We've done Major League Baseball. We've done uh, Super League rugby. We've done rugby teams. We've done football teams. Uh, we've done Sky Sports. We've done sports broadcasters around the world. And all of that is from the Premier League. Mm. And this kind of, I don't know, this sense that these guys clearly are sports branding experts when, when we're really not. You know, So I think it just debunks the whole thing around experience and, and stuff. I think the only last thing to say is, you, you you are defined by the work you do. And I know you had Marina on um, uh, a while ago. And Marina did Tate, and that has defined her career. You know, she's gone on to be one of the greatest arts and culture. And by the way, I'm not comparing myself to Marina for one second. <laughs> um, but, you know, by doing sports, then you go down a sports 
path. And we're actively trying to balance that out at the moment. Uh, weirdly, you know, it's, it, we love it, but we don't want to be just the sports branding agency. So as fantastic as it is, as, as great of an honor as it is, we don't want to be pigeonholed or put in that in that one box. We want to work on loads of different things. So you just need to see no, say no to the next 15 sports um, briefs that come across your desk. You're like, no, thanks. We did. We, <laughs> we said no, it's about five, but they come so fast. <laughs> and some of them are so great um, that it's harder than you think. But we're definitely, I mean, saying no is another, maybe it's a debate for another time, but I think it's, it's a fascinating thing within branding because it's actually the only real control we have in what we do. Um, you know, you can't choose the clients who come to you. You can only pick up the phone or the email and decide whether to do it or not. And I think for my entire career, I've always said yes, because I've been an employee. Um, and then when became, you know, when it's, when you're weirdly in control, it still took me five years to say no. Then I said no, and it was really weird and I didn't sleep. I was like, Oh God, is the whole business going to crumble? What have I done? And then you realize actually it's fine. It's, and it's actually really healthy to say no. Mm. No, it definitely is. And I think, I think that goes for clients and agencies. Um, you know, I think coming back to one of the things we talked about earlier is this chemistry meeting. You know, I think you should be buying your clients based on a set of criteria and you should be buying your agency based on a set of criteria that is, do I like how they think? Do I like their process? Do I like them as a human being? Because if you don't say yes to those three things, the, the working relationship is probably going to be terrible and the end result is not going to be as good as, as it could be. I mean, I love that you said brave clients. And I think it is. It's brave to say no. It's brave to to choose someone who isn't the, the the big brand name, who doesn't have a TBWA or a Aegis or a whatever kind of like uh, attached to to it. Um, doesn't mean that the the quality of humans is any less good. I think in in some aspects, when you pick a smaller agency, you get more love and more care and more energy because you know, to, to them, you are the biggest opportunity of, of a career. Yeah. Look, there's so much I agree with in what you just said there. Um, it's hard to, hard to answer all of it because I feel passionate about so many bits that yes, I mean, clients should choose us on our personality, but we should choose them. I think that's the one thing we don't do. Mm. They ask for the chemistry meeting where we perform but we're not asking, hey, are you a really brave decision maker? You know, are you going to push this? Because we are. Are you going to collaborate? Are you going to be all in with us? We're not asking those questions because we're too service orientated. So I think being on the front foot and, you know, one of the things we're thinking about is telling clients, we don't think we're right for you. You know, we're, we're really good for hungry, quick, agile, brave decision making clients who want to make a big impact. We're less good about dilly-dallying, you know, noodling. We're not a boutique uh, agency. You know, there's so many agencies that can do that better. So I think it's something about knowing who you are as an agency and where you're really good and then working out which clients are right for you. All of that is a privilege, which comes with having enough work to be able to, to make decisions. But I do think that that's the next maybe evolution of what we do, which is this kind of relationship, shared values kind of approach. Um, 
And then if we open up our network, we could go, look, you're not right for us, but Kotal would be perfect. I'm going to introduce you to James or whoever, you know, and we could be much more collaborative as a, as a, as an industry rather than always competing and fighting and not liking each other's social posts and all the other petty things we do. So do you, do you go online and actively like all of everyone's social media posts or do you just follow? I try to, I really do try to, yeah. I, I certainly don't hate on anything because I just think it's a waste of energy and I'm trying to be really generous and, um, and celebrate good work. And actually I've, I've, I've made a really great friend recently by not just liking if he, he put this thing on, um, on LinkedIn, he'd been doing this, uh, paint fusion ball painting performance for the euros. And it was just so beautiful so I just reached out to him and I just said, look, this is amazing. Like you really stopped me in my tracks in, a, in this really busy feed. Anyway, he invited me to a show. We became really good friends. He gave me a hand-painted ball. We've ended, I said, look, we should do something with the Premier League. So now we're going to do a joint venture performance with the Premier League. And I think that's one example of just being open and not trying to be in competition with everyone, but mm. kind of being okay with yourself and then, um, and then championing the people around you. If we could all do that, I'm, I'm not saying I'm anything special with that, but if we could all do a little bit of it, we, we'd have a we'd have much more camaraderie in an industry that I do feel is a little bit combative and kind of you know it's us against the world. And I, I don't really think it has to be like that. I like that. I, mean, I suppose it's also a bit of how the pitchers create that that kind of that sense too. I mean, I think you've teed up my my next question really interestingly, which is, you know, you've you've been awarded the Natural History Museum kind of rebrand. Will you talk about what I think is quite a bold move, both as a company and as a husband, um, into how you pitch the the Natural History <laughs> Museum? Yeah, well, I, I'll let you know how it's going on the husband thing. Maybe we'll <laughs> check it in a few weeks, but. Yeah, again, I think knowing your strengths as an agency. So we were invited to an open pitch on the Natural History Museum. I think 350-odd agencies pitched. We knew that we could add value to this project, but we also acutely knew, were aware, that we couldn't win it as Nomad. We had no experience doing big museum brands. We had no reputation I think we're known for this kind of mass, fantastic, bold, digital first, moving. And they were very taken by that. I think they they felt like they wanted a, a super modern, relevant brand. So I think it was a really natural conclusion for me to to go home and speak to Marina, my wife, Marina Willer, and say, hey, why don't we do this together? You know, you're the queen of culture. Uh, we're, the, we're the guys who, you know, can make this thing move and bring it to life. I think it would be great together. She was like, of course, you know, of course. But I think what was really nice was it, how it went beyond me and Marina and it went to the two teams and they collaborated brilliantly. It was a real team effort. The work was fantastic. The pitch was free and comprehensive and it was a huge amount of work. But it ultimately won us the job. It terrified them and we had to agree to, that we would not pursue the pitch in any way. Uh, we couldn't push it. And they couldn't understand how we would be so willing to let this thing go. It was like this perfectly formed idea that solves all the problems straight out of the box. 
and were like willing to walk away from it. And they, they kind of needed reassurance that we'd be okay to move on. Anyway, we have, and uh, we're just getting going and it's fantastic. But I think, I think again, another, another sense that we're better together, you know, Pentagram is an, many, many small teams. It's not this big, massive company that people may think it is. So Marina's team is eight. Our team is 20. We'll have probably four people from each team working on it. Um, we've, we've proven it in the pitch that we can collaborate. We have no ego. So when it comes to sharing the creds at the end, it will be completely fine. Um, I just hope we're still married and happy <laughs> by the end of it. That, that, I, that I can't guarantee, but I'm sure it'll be fine. I mean, I think it's it's interesting Like you talk about kind of brave clients. I think it is a brave client that will take two agencies. But at the same time, I think, like you said, it requires the creatives to play nice with each other. Um, and I think it is so interesting. You know, one thing I've gotten so much value out of doing, this is, the, I think, going to be the 53rd episode of our podcast. This, there's no one way of solving anything. And everyone you meet you kind of a little bit of you rubs off on them and a little bit of them rubs off on you and you kind of accrue these tiny little perspectives, skills, things you never knew, ways of looking at the world that you didn't have before. And ultimately, I think that's why when you meet people at the end of their careers, they've got such a wealth of knowledge and experience and, and it's not that they're better, it's just that they've had 200,000 interactions, whereas when you're the intern, you've had 200, you know, so there's just this bigger wealth, um, you know, and I, I like the world that you're proposing that, that people can work together and do it in a kind of meaningful way that adds value back to the clients, you know, so that the clients can be more brave because if you're a brave client and it blows up in your face, that's that's difficult to swallow and you'll probably lose your job if you're a brave client and and it works out then you encourage other clients to be more brave and you encourage that person to be kind of brave going forward uh, well look that the way you just described that i think anyone any young person listening hopefully listening to this podcast should really take that on board because that, that is your career right there you know you're made up of of a million interactions and moments that define you and create you as a as a person, as a, as a creative, and then as a leader, I think we're all made up of these these moments, that these meetings, the catastrophes, the things that went well, the interaction with our bosses, the sleepless nights. All of that makes us who we are, and and there is no shortcut to it. Um, so I just thought that was a wonderful way that you put that, and I think it's really important. I think, yeah, like from a client's point of view, it's an unnecessary distraction to have two agencies. It's a risk they may not need to take. Mm. I do feel that they, if you, you do need to explain it and, and tell them why you're doing it. You can't just assume that it makes sense to them. But I think we're living in a time now, and you touched on it earlier, where the name above the door is much less important than the people. Um, and I think clients are brave because they're buying people. They've either been recommended or they know they're not going to the comfort blanket of the big agencies that you mentioned earlier. So that is a win for, for everyone and, and everyone 
I feel every creative should be thinking about having their own agency. I think that's every designer's ultimate end game. And um, everyone should aspire to that um, because it is a truly democratized industry. It's not like being a footballer. To be a footballer, you have to play for a club. You have to have a contract. To be a designer, you can do it however you want. And I think there's something really liberating in that. And then I think if you open up and stop protecting your patch, it's again, it's it's liberating like like with friendships or any other thing in your life. You know, the more open you are, the more kind of fulfilling it is in return. But I think you need a certain level of confidence and kind of I don't know the word is you need to be just like over yourself or cool with yourself, you know, and not chasing something. And I think if you can let all that baggage go then you can have these amazing um, experiences working with Pentagram. I mean, who doesn't want to work with Pentagram? I mean, that is an honor in its own right. Working with a natural history museum, which we would never have won without them, is an honor of a lifetime. All of that is only made possible because you were open. Mm. So you can be closed and have none of it or be open and have everything you want. So, yeah, I just think it's a mindset shift. Well, I think that's probably the theme of this entire conversation is shifting, thinking about how we're approaching work, how we're approaching brands, how we're approaching resourcing partners, clients, I think. But I also feel, you know, I think the way you described it is that the world is is kind of before the world came apart. Like, I think the world has come apart. And I think we sit at a time now where there's an opportunity to put it back together again. And one world is that we just put it back together the way it was before. Another world is we think about what we actually want out of the work and the relationships and the things that we we deliver and the impact that we make with the time and energy we have. And and what does that look like? So that's why I've, I've gotten a huge amount out of this conversation. So thank you. I'm glad that wasn't a question because I was thinking, <laughs> wow, that is, yeah, where do we go? You know, and I think... <laughs> I mean, again, another fascinating point on, you know, I, I remember reading the newspaper one morning, like after one of the lockdowns, and it was like LA traffic was back, you know, 12 lanes, chocker, 9am. And it was like, God, we're nuts, right, to have gone through this pandemic, learned so much, and then go back to these habits that make no sense. The entire planet moving at the same time to the mm. same location just feels really nuts yet we'll probably end up going back to that there's probably more chance of that than forging a new way because we're creatures of habit there's inbuilt lack of trust the systems you know whatever there's probably a bunch of reasons why but i would hope that something good comes out of this and yeah we can focus on the more important things like saving the planet I mean, so I guess, you know, on that, like, I hope that you, you never have to ride the central line again in your entire life, because that's a horrendous experience that no, no human should be subjected to ever. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, exactly. Now, if you ride that central line at two in the afternoon, you can read the paper and have a seat and it's really pleasant. Um, I just think we could have a mixed mash, a mix, I don't know, a mixed bag of of ways of working but i think what, like, nobody wants routine no one wants to do the same thing every day and that's one of the real pleasures of being a designer is that every day is different every client is different every brief is different every challenge is different so why would solving it be the same sat at a desk for nine hours a day mm. and i think i've gone on a bit of a journey of 
um, you know, every, you know, we're building a culture. We've got a studio, everyone in the studio, and we'll do it together. So you're going, actually, it kind of works really well. And if you know, if you get that buzz from having a run instead of getting on the central line, then we're not going to take that away from you. So I think it's just being open and flexible to almost individual needs and then if you've got 20 people you've got 20 different ways of of working and and that's cool mm. it's a harder route but more fulfilling i mean i'm i'm cognizant of time and i want to throw one last question at you i mean you talked about kind of all of this noise kind of happening in brands and then you go onto the nomad site and there's i think five or six or seven different identities you've created for yourself so if you had to go on the record on one more question podcast um which logo would you choose for nomad to to have to kind of hang its hat on or would you start an entire another brief and you know an entire challenge to redesign the entire thing with that in mind it's funny that you picked out the multi logos on our nomad site um and whilst i'm you know, I don't profess to have the answers and, and, and definitely am guilty of creating the noise. Um, obviously, my favorite is this one, the, the NMD gloopy one that we sponsor the Hackney Laces women's football kit with. Um, but it just shows that we're, we're, we're all, you know, we're at this peak now where if a independent brand agency feels it needs seven logos, then where does, <laughs> where does it stop? Mm. But I guess, I mean, it's all cyclical and it's all fun to watch. And, and I guess conversations like these is what starts shifting back in the other direction. I mean, somebody in 10 years' time will probably be having a conversation going, monolithic, like everything feels the same. I feel like variety is what the world needs right now. And they're going to start heading in the other direction. 100%, but it's probably going to be two years or something. Yeah, it's so cyclical. <laughs> it's so reactive. Um, and what, what will solve today's problems will not solve, you know, and that's what's great. Otherwise, we'd be out of business, right? If we solved it and it worked first time, we, we, we wouldn't be needed. So, so it's great. Well, Stuart, I mean, thank you very much for the conversation. I could probably record five episodes with you. Um, thank you for your energy. Thank you for the work that you've made. And, and I look forward to seeing the Natural History Museum um, come to life and potentially even your third child if everything kind of <laughs> works out for you. Thanks, Ross. Real <laughs> pleasure. Fantastic yeah. chatting to you. Yeah. Awesome. All the best. And we'll catch all of you in the next one. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. We believe that sharing knowledge is an obligation. So if you know someone who's building a brand or needs some inspiration for their brand, please share this podcast with them. This is our third season, and we'd be grateful if you'd hit that subscribe button so you're the first one to know when a new episode comes out. Or even better, leave us a review and tell the world how much you enjoy listening. This really helps. One more question is brought to you by the people at NiceWork. NiceWork is a purpose-driven company helping people who want to make a dent in the world by building brands that people give a shit about. We're based in Johannesburg, South Africa and serve companies around the world. If you'd like to know more, partner with us or make a suggestion, reach out at www.nicework.co.za. And if you're one of those really old school people, send us a letter and we'll make you a mixtape. <laughs> <laughs>